0: We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. Welcome to today's episode of Cascading Leadership. And we have a returning episode. So this is the second edition of Two Dudes and Two Reviews. And after a uh, long-awaited delay, we have two powerhouse books that we're going to review. I am your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. And with me, I have my illustrious co-host. Hello, co-host. Lawrence
1: Brown, otherwise known as LB, your executive reading and resource coach.
0: Oh, LB. So let's get into nerd mode, get our nerd hats on and our pocket protectors at the ready and talk about some books. So, the book that I'm going to review is Get the Meeting by Stu Henke. I want to set the stage a little bit. And this book is particularly relevant, especially considering some of the challenges that sales professionals are dealing with right now. He's got two other books that he's written How to Get a Meeting with Anyone and Get the Meeting with This One. And then he's got a new book coming out, Grow Your Business Like a Weed, which will be out in June. The reason why I picked this book is because it's particularly relevant to the current state of the sales environment right now. So you have varying degrees of remote or fully remote or hybrid work. Your buyers are generally not responsive to emails, phones, or traditional ways of getting in touch with them. They're extremely busy and that's only getting worse. And then you throw in all sorts of automation that's in process and your buyers are actually getting inundated with all sorts of messaging about who has the next greatest widget in the history of widgets that they want to sell you. So basically, the buyer landscape is such that the last thing that they want to do is engage with anybody that is selling them in it. Sales professionals in general haven't done themselves any favors because their idea of building a relationship is maybe inundating somebody with a bunch of cold calls and a bunch of emails that are through some automation suite and then sending them a LinkedIn message. As soon as they connect on LinkedIn, you're going to go into your pitch. It's just a horrible scenario if you're a buyer. And this is where Stu's comes in extremely handy. And a little background on Stu, he was a former uh, Wall Street Journal cartoonist prior to becoming an author and a marketing expert. He is basically the founder of contact marketing. And really, when he came out of the advertising world, he's got a similar story to Andy Paul, where he looked at the world, how it was and how customer behavior and buyer behavior was taking place. And he basically said, I'm going to do something a little bit different that I think has a better opportunity for me to connect and build relationships with the person that I want to get in front of. So Get the meeting is basically your handbook on how you can use what I call quote-unquote old school high contact methods to get in front of somebody. One of the examples that he gives is that he's been able to meet with high-level CEOs and high-level executives. He's met all sorts of different people that are, for most people, impossible to get in front of. So what he's done is that he's taken personalization and messaging down to a super granular, super personalized effort where he's doing extensive research on what's important to that particular, particular buyer or prospect. And then he's building a cartoon deck that he will send out. And his approach has been so effective that there are executive assistants who will Record the unboxing of what he's sending to these executives, and these executives will will record the entire interaction, and then meet with uh, meet with Stu. I
1: have a question yeah. though. So, do you have to be an amazing artist? Because I, I think that it, it sounds amazing. But what skills do you do
0: you need? No, you don't. And here's the thing: it's you have to engage your curiosity and your creativity, and you can do really anything that is in your toolkit to do this type of work. So Steve Watt, who is another great marketing uh, person, he's big into buyer-centric social selling. And one of the things that he often says is that you don't have to be a thought leader. And actually, there are very few people that are actually thought leaders in terms of how we define it. There are very few people that are actually drawing the map that's out there. What you have to be is you have to identify what you're the subject matter expert of and everybody is a subject matter expert in something and what you have to do is build a community out of the people that you want to get in front of that are interested in the things that you're interested in and figure out a way to collaborate with them and bring them into your ecosystem and and create sort of a relationship first so Stu's book gives a, a roadmap of a lot of different ways that you can get in front of people so for example there's a There's somebody that is a high power business consultant, and his target customer is high level publicly traded executives. And what he does, and Stu talks about it in in his book, it's all about contact marketing. What Stu talks about is that this particular seller keeps an eye out for quarterly reports on financials. And when he notices that an organization is having a bad quarter, he will reach out to the executive in sales and send them this $2,000, some large dollar amount, custom-made broadsword. And his message in that broadsword, and it's packaged like, super nice, his message in that broadsword to that executive is, when you're going through difficult times in battle, who do you want fighting with you? Do you want somebody fighting with you that understands what you're dealing with and has helped other people like you slay the dragon? Or do you want to try to figure this out yourself? That sort of focus on how can you connect with who you are as a person and what you solve for the customer and deliver it in a high-touch way that is guaranteed basically to get your response is a phenomenal way to do outreach. And that's the value of everything that Stu talks about in Get the Meeting and also how to get a meeting with anyone. I
1: think that's great to, to call out because fo- I know folks might be thinking, I don't have two grand to be sending out per per client. And, and, the, and the second thing is I was thinking about this is that it sounds very, and I think you mentioned this a couple of uh, episodes ago, we were talking about something and Jay Conrad's Guerrilla Marketing came up, but it feels very reminiscent of that where you spend the time to get to know the, uh, the client that you're working on, a prospective client?
0: It's absolutely consistent with how I've typically sold. I've struggled with volume. I tend to be pretty high touch. It's in my nature to think through how I want to connect with somebody versus just spray and pray all over the place and see if something happens. And when you look at the data, response rates, reply rates to emails are less than 3%. And that's if you're getting good response rates response rates to voicemails and and phone calls, similarly poor. So you can either pick the solution, which is, I'm going to just call harder or email harder and try to get more people. Or you can actually try to work smarter and build the relationship first and really connect with your buyer and demonstrate your understanding of who they are as a person and what they're going through, and then send them something that demonstrates that understanding. Stu's book is all about contact marketing. But if you apply this to other ways that you can build a relationship quickly, maybe you're a writer, maybe you're a researcher, maybe you're a market researcher, maybe you like vlogs, maybe you do podcasts, maybe you do have a YouTube channel. These are all ways to get your buyer interested in building a relationship with you. Most salespeople think that we're the hero in the buyer's story. We're a plot device. We're the MacGuffin. The buyer is the hero in the buyer's story. So this allows you to shift your perspective in the appropriate way so that you're making the buyer the star of the show. So winding this all back, that is the value of get the meeting because not only does it talk about what Stu has done, and and an interesting anecdote about this story is that he actually used exactly what he's talking about to meet his wife, who was at, at the time, his wife was a model in the Netherlands, and he was a photographer, media guy, and he used some of that stuff to like get the meeting with her, and now he's been married for like years and years. So you don't have to be an artist or whatever, but you have to have the courage to demonstrate how you're different and connect with that person on the other end at a personal level so that you can actually advance the relationship. So when it comes to the application of Stu's book, you can totally do everything that Stu did. You can make cartoons or anecdotes or whatever, but it's really engaging your curiosity and creativity that's at the heart of his book. And that's why this is killer because it, it focuses on the relationship building aspect of it first.
1: It's amazing that, that it's human connection. It's that human connection. All those different things that he's doing are brilliant because they weave that connection between human beings. That's what it, at least it sounds yep. like. So I'm actually excited about reading this as well.
0: You're absolutely right. And, and this is why it's even more important to get tuned in to contact marketing-related literature, collaborative literature, things that build that authentic relationship first, because we're living in the era of automation and AI. So you're never going to out hustle. So why try that? That makes no sense. So focus on relationships first, because a bot is never going to be able to, or at least I don't think so, never going to be able to out relationship you. So focus there. Highly recommend get the meeting. Should be no surprise that I'm giving it a five out of five on the pocket protector scale, but that is the book. And I will also encourage you to get uh, how to get a meeting with anybody or with anyone also by Stu Hinky. And uh, you better believe that I'll be looking at uh, how to grow your business like a weed when that comes out. And don't be surprised if Stu is actually on the show at some point. Plot twist.
1: Sure. So I will share the book here. It is so you want to talk about race by Ijoma Olowu? You've only
0: referenced that book three or four yes, different times in our and episodes.
1: The reason that I have is that when I think about all the different books that I've read, specifically in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, I think it one it's a great primer. So a little bit of a backstory. The way that I've dissected the conversations that I've had about you know, talking to folks about DEI work is that there are a couple of different camps and how she addresses these different camps is in this way. So oftentimes when you hear, so you want to talk about race, it's oftentimes discussed in tandem with uh, White Fragility that was written by Robin DiAngelo. And so White Fragility was written by Robin DiAngelo for her to have the conversation with white people about race. So You Want to Talk About Race by Joe Malou is similar in the sense that it is helping to introduce the conversation of race, of class, of privilege in a way from a brown person's perspective. She is someone who is of, uh, who's biracial, and so she talks about that in her book. For example, she, she breaks it down in a way that I think, if, if I'm looking here, it's pretty cool, in my opinion. So the first our introduction is, so you want to talk about race. And essentially, the crux of it is that it's about race if, if a person of color says it's about race. And I think that's an important delineation because, from a societal standpoint, oftentimes things are, or concepts are prescribed to marginalized groups. And so she's setting the foundation of the book by saying, hey, to start the conversation, it's about race. If a person of color says that it's about race. And then she goes through and she talks about a number of different issues about what if I'm talking about race wrong? What if I'm getting it wrong? What are some of the feelings that you might be going through? And I think that when you look at this book and you read it, What's exciting about it is that it's designed to be a framework to have a conversation around race. It's actually a framework that you could use to help establish what you're doing with your DEI protocols within an organization, helping to set up and establish it in a way that helps to put it in a framework that people can agree that let's define words in this way, right? Let's define concepts. So for example, when you talk about microaggressions, she defines microaggressions she defines privilege. And when you have that single starting point, you at least have the opportunity to say, hey, this is what we mean by we're referencing X or Y in this conversation. So that's extremely important.
0: So one of the things that I found interesting for me, I want to talk about all sorts of stuff. I don't really care if it's third rail or anything. What I've noticed is that people say they want to talk about race. And then when you get into these areas where you're really sharing your perspective of your experiences, it has the potential to shut the conversation down. What did you pick out out of that book that can be used by people who want to engage in a race conversation in a constructive way without alienating the person that you're trying to understand?
1: Yeah. I think that the the first one is, and it, it may be one that sounds a bit controversial, but I don't think that you can have a conversation, at least in, in America today, without there being some amount of uh, discourse and disagreement. And so I think that we have to, at a starting point, that we have to agree to disagree. I think that that's a primary element. I think that we have to get better at having making better arguments. So the Aspen Institute actually has a better arguments project that they are Trying to forward, and I think that's important. Because I I think that we are at a point where people don't want to agree to disagree. To your point, though, one of the things that I do like about this book, of the many things, is that she has actually a discussion guide in the back of the uh, the actual text. So it and it's and it starts with giving some background, and then she talks with like basic guidelines. So that's what I was talking about—the whole idea of level setting before you start the conversation. For example, if you're in a majority white space, talk with people of color in advance in a private safe setting to hear their concerns about upcoming discussion. Now, that's important because what happened post-George Floyd was a lot of corporations, well-intended, I'm sure, wanted to address what was happening in our society and understood that it was spilling over into their corporate sectors. Many of them didn't consider what the what impact would be to folks that had been impacted in some way by this experience, by by what has happened as, in this case, Black people in America.
0: Maya Winston actually talks about this. Like, organizations were on such a rush to have a point of view and show support that they just ended up being performative. I've talked to other folks in our conversations, both offline and through the episodes, where you have all of these things that are happening in society all of a sudden people come out of the woodwork and share their feelings and makes the issue about their feelings versus about the situation and how it's impacting the person that might identify with that situation.
1: And that's widespread. So Maya is 100% correct. The performative efforts are unfortunately, and this is going to sound, this is going to be a very unpopular statement. So I'm okay with that.
0: I'm, a, I'm here for all the unpopular Yeah, <laughs> I,
1: I think that there, there are a large number of companies that were flushed out by doing that. And it's not enough to be well-intended because, for example, when you talk about these conversations, when they, a lot of companies had listening sessions and didn't do what this book is recommending, which is basically have a discussion beforehand to level the playing field so that folks feel better about the conversation. They won't necessarily feel good about the conversation, but they feel better. And here's why. For example, I won't speak for anyone else, but I have been stopped by the police Guns drawn on at least one occasion and stopped by the police on numerous other occasions. We talked so, about that
0: uh, over text or phone, like absolutely. right after it happened.
1: Right after it happened. In the, and it's still, to this day, is something that it is unnerving. It's unrattling. And when I do talk about it, I, I oftentimes take big pauses in, in addressing it and talking about it because I think my emotions are still raw about that.
0: Your sons were in the...
1: Yeah, on one occasion I had...
0: Oh, this had, was a different uh, one.
1: Oh, yeah. That was, oh, that was okay. a different occasion. So you you kind of see my point that seeing seeing the George Floyd experience was something that was unnerving. And at the time I did work in Fortune 500 and uh, I was working with our employee resource group. I was actually president of that. And when I was asked to speak on it, of course I wanted to, but it it was really tough for me to to do that. I I did it. I don't know that a lot of people knew it. I I shared my story as they did not know it prior. And as I did, and, and it honestly choked me up. And I don't know that we had a conversation at that time about like, how would it make you feel? Now, I will say that as the conversation continued, we got better at saying, hey, we need to take some more time and make sure that we are having meaningful conversations. So the book really helps to frame that out. And I think that's why the discussion guide is so important. So there's another, as a close auxiliary to this, that there's a book called, I'm sorry, a documentary, but it's American Son. But in this documentary, She actually has a a biracial son, and the father is a police officer, and the son actually is stopped by the police, and ultimately he's killed for whatever reason. I don't remember that storyline either, but here's the crux of it. After the documentary, they actually created a speaking guide to have this conversation. See, Those things are meaningful when you have a reference point. There are so many. The Long Shadow is another documentary two white women who lived in the antebellum South and they talk about their experiences again what's important about that is is that theirs also has a discussion guide and when you think about the uh, circling back to the text it's important for us to be able to have that because I think that helps to to frame it out it doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect it doesn't mean that everyone is going to agree but it at least out allows us the opportunity to be able to talk about the uh, the topics and the issues of race and really any marginalized group, Because she also touches on class and uh, privilege in there. Like, for example, men having a greater sense of privilege than women do in in, in our largely patriarch society. She has a lot, and it's pretty action-packed in, I think, about 200 pages or less.
0: One of the things that I take away from these conversations that we always have, and it comes out in a number of our episodes in terms of getting into meaningful progress, like we have to remove as much as we can the personal aspect of it, an argument is made and you're taking it personally. That's not constructive. And I think we have to get in the habit of seeing each other as humans versus these giant monoliths, which allow us to depersonalize that conversation. You've seen me get into some of these conversations with people and I'm using back channels when I'm messaging you <laughs> where it's so, like, oh my God, I don't even know like what to do here. Because it's just like, how can you not relate to The feeling that somebody has when they're of a certain color or gender or whatever, and something happens to them and you have zero agency in or very little agency in how that is going to shake out because of the optics of how the other person sees you or perceives you. I would freak the hell out if I got pulled over and my kids were in there and guns drawn and all that sort of stuff. That's a relatable experience. It doesn't matter. Where you are, everyone's got to get in the habit or get better at being able to see each other as individuals and as people and relate at that level. And then, when you're, you know, having these conversations about everybody's experiences, don't take it as a personal attack on you. We say
1: all the time, and I, it may sound cliche, but I think it starts with humanity. I think that we have to start there. I can't see, I can't see any other way, in my opinion, because I think that if we start there, then. I would hope that we at least, even if we don't necessarily agree, that we at least have the the empathy to understand the other position, right? Like, for example, we talked about when we know my sons were in the car. I have one son who's of driving age, the other one who got his license yesterday, and that should be a crowning moment of joy for a, a young person, and I am extremely happy for him, but it is, in fact, cringeworthy, as well to know that as a new driver, some of the things that he will experience that he's already experienced so when he was in the car, at that time when we were stopped, he was 12 years old. So that was his introduction. I just think that we need to start with humanity. All right, so on our rating system, which is pocket protectors, Nerd Alert, that's what we are. I'm going to say that for So You Wanna Talk About Race is. It's a five out of five. I think it's necessary reading for everyone, um, not just people who want to learn more about race who don't necessarily talk about race today. But I think it's a text that allows us to, to move the conversation uh, forward in a healthy way. And so my recommendation is to check out the text, right? If you prefer reading, they have, of course, in all of the formats. You can do a Kindle, you can do the actual book, or you can do Audible, which is my favorite.
0: All right, so LB we got two more books. So we did two dudes, two reviews. Episode two. That's a lot of twos. Why don't you close it down for us?
1: As always, for those of you that are listening, we are continuing to expand. I'm not going to tell you that one of the things you might be seeing is a, a new social media platform that will be on. We don't know about that yet. We're still deciding. But for now, you can find us on Facebook, TikTok, LinkedIn, and YouTube. That's where you can find opportunity to hear about the latest episodes that are dropping incredible dance moves from jim on tiktok and all the other fun stuff about cascading leadership the show
0: thank you for listening to this episode of cascading leadership we hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player follow us on youtube tiktok linkedin twitter and facebook